Good morning. My name is Peter. I wanted to come this morning to talk to you a little bit. My understanding is you've been studying through the book of Mark, some of my, my recollections that I passed on to John Mark, and he wrote down. And It's been a few months since the crucifixion, since the resurrection. And there's just so much has gone on since then. My, my head just swims at all the details, and I've been telling people about Jesus and who Jesus is and, and what He stood for, what He did. But discussion often comes back to the night before the cross. The night before the cross. And people ask me all kinds of questions. And, and, and one of the questions that I hear so often is, oh, that must have been horrible in the garden. That was such a pitiful event. Why did that happen to our Savior? And in some ways I get that. In some ways they're right. But, but this morning I just want to clear some things up because it wasn't pitiful. It just wasn't. I was there. And at the moment, it seemed horrendous and I couldn't get my head around it. But as I look back, I have learned so much since then. I have learned so much of what Jesus was actually doing, what was happening behind the scenes that I didn't know until four days later when I ran to that tomb and it was empty. It was empty. And and the pieces started to fit together. You see, I, I wasn't always the quickest to catch on to things. I, I sort of took the lead, and, and, and a few of us were really close to Jesus. There was James and John, and he called them the, the, the sons of thunder. And he called me the rock, which I don't understand. Maybe it was because I had a thick head sometimes. But I think it was where really what he wanted to do with the church. I think the other disciples just said, he's the impetuous one. He'll jump in no matter what without thinking. And... and between you and me, that's, that's true sometimes. Sometimes I did. But Jesus still loved me. And He still taught me. And He still used me. But I want to go back to that scene. It was Thursday night. And, and Thursday night was packed with things that happened already. We started out with celebrating the Passover feast together. And, and Jesus took this as a chance to teach and change the feast to something that we as a church still practice. In fact, every time we get together right now, we still practice the Lord's Supper because we want to remember. We want to remember what Jesus did. And at that, at that Passover, at the Lord's Supper, I remember still Jesus getting down on His knees and washing our feet. And me being me, said, no, no, not me. You won't ever wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, then you won't ever be clean. I said, then wash all of me, God. And I remember the whole thing at the dinner about the betrayal. And he said that someone from our twelve, from our group, eating with us would betray him. And I just couldn't understand that. We were all pretty worried. We each asked and Is it me? Is it me? But then I remember as we left, he said, well, actually all of you will fall away. Because of me, all of you will fall away. And and I just couldn't. I was stupid. (laughs) Because I said, no, I won't. 
They all will, but I won't. And Jesus said, well, actually you will, and you'll fall hard. And then we went to the garden. And this is a place that we like to go, and we were often there, and we were surrounded by trees, and you see some of them here, and and olive trees, and it's the middle of the night. We're talking 12, 1 o'clock in the morning at this point, and, and we're all pretty exhausted. We had just come a couple miles from Bethany that day, and, and, and Jesus, something was different. He was struggling. He was emotional. He was, he was grieving. And, he, and he, he, he dropped the other disciples off at the front of the garden and took James, or James and John and myself. We went a little bit further in and he said, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm struggling. Grieving. Then he said, pray for yourself that you don't fall into temptation. And, and, and again, this was just a low moment. And by the grace of God here a few months later, I can say, yes, I, I failed. And there were low moments. And Jesus said that and we fell asleep. An hour later, he came back and woke us up and scolded us. And so we responded by falling asleep again. I'm embarrassed of that. Three times that happened. And, and, and that's where I want to pick up the story is right at the end of that, the, the, the events that started the journey to the cross. The events that really just started this whirlwind of activity that ended not with Jesus on the cross, but ended with the stone rolled away three days later. And now continue to impact us. But that night, third time Jesus comes out. And, and we're sleeping again. He wakes us up. And I remember what he said. He said, you know, it's enough. Rise. The time is at hand. My betrayer's here. We didn't quite understand it at the time, but that had something to do with what he said at the Lord's Supper. But what was amazing is as soon as he said that, as soon as he said that, in this dark garden, moon coming through, and the shadows of the olive trees around, and it's quiet, all of a sudden I hear off in the distance this commotion, and you hear this rumble of voices and clanking of swords. And, and we looked over, and this light was coming through the trees, and this, this crowd was carrying torches, and they were carrying swords. And do you know what that does to your heart when you know that they're after you? That they're after your master? But Jesus knew they were coming. He knew they were coming. He woke us up because they were coming. And he said his betrayer was there. Because as they got a little bit closer and I could make out who they were and I could see that there were some scribes and some of the religious leaders and, and, and some of the priests... Really, it was a group of the Sanhedrin. That was our, our court of the time, our religious court. And, and they had obviously met, and they had obviously issued an arrest warrant to make this all official. And, and, and they were coming to arrest him, and, and accompanying them was this detachment of Roman soldiers. I, really? Really? Who did they think we were? They obviously thought that we were going to, to defend ourselves, and that we were a force to be reckoned with, and... Um, what are we going to do? Throw fishing nets on them? I mean, really? And they come walking up. And I was amazed because Jesus knew they were coming. Got us up. 
And instead of running away, because we could have gone over the back wall of the orchard, instead of running away, he turned and we walked to them. See, this wasn't a pitiful night. This was an intentional night. This was a purposeful night. And I didn't get that then, but Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew. And as the crowd got closer, I could pick out someone in the crowd. It was Judas. He was just eating with us. He was the one. And I still get angry talking about it because he betrayed our Master. He betrayed the Messiah. And he's leading them. And he had this plan. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go. This is where they always meet. And I'm going to go up to Jesus and I'm going to kiss him. That was a pretty traditional greeting for for a a student and a rabbi. And I'm going to kiss him. And that's how you'll know he's the man. It was pretty dark. Some of the people wouldn't have known who he was. And, And so Judas comes up with the group and he finds Jesus. And he walks up to him. And he not only kisses him, but he kisses him with this long, long kiss of, of almost appreciation. And, and then he calls him rabbi. Rabbi. A, a, a title of respect. He is such a jerk. How could he do that? He comes and he kisses him as a sign of respect and a sign of friendship. He calls him rabbi as a sign of friendship and respect. All the while, he is betraying him to his death. What brings a man to that point? I was mad. Can't even really describe it. And Judas said, he kissed him and called him rabbi. And Judas had warned them. He said, no, as soon as I do that, you better take him and you better guard him carefully. Did he really think that guarding Jesus carefully would somehow overcome him? That that would somehow be powerful enough? It tells me Judas never got it. He, he, he's coming and he's saying, we have all, we have enough people, you have swords, you can capture Jesus. Does he forget what happened on the Sea of Galilee? Did he forget that Jesus stood up and said, be calm and the storm stopped? Did he forget about the 5,000 people that were fed from five little loaves? Did he forget about the legion of demons that Jesus said, get out, get into the pigs, and they go running off the cliff? This was a man of power. And some small crowd with some swords and torches, if he didn't want them to take him, they didn't have to. Judas never understood the power of God. He never got it. See, it wasn't a pitiful night. It was a powerful night. Jesus knew they were coming, went to them, and let Judas kiss him. Jesus even talked to him as Judas was doing this, and he said, friend, friend, do what you have to do. Jesus was in control the whole time. You know, that, that scene is where people still use the phrase kiss of death. That's from Judas. It refers to someone that, that abuses a, a friendship or a relationship to harm someone else. Because Judas gave him a kiss of death. But the first lesson that I learned through this 
the first lesson that affected me was how Jesus embraced God's sovereign answer to prayer. And the challenge for me is I need to embrace God's sovereign answer to prayer. And what I mean by that, do you remember what just happened in the garden? I was there with Jesus, and Jesus is begging God, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And God answered. But God didn't answer with what Jesus was asking. God answered by having the crowd and the mob come to arrest him. And Jesus didn't run from, from God's answer to prayer when he didn't like it. He didn't get upset that, that God didn't give him his way. He said, okay, rise up, let's go. This is God's plan. He just answered our prayer, let's do it. Now for me, the impetuous one, it's pretty hard. Because I, I, just, I just want to do my own thing. And Jesus modeled for us what to do when God doesn't answer prayer the way we expect Him to. What do we do when God says, well, you will go through that trial? What do we do when someone dies that we prayed for? What do we do? I remember my mother-in-law and God healed her, but what if God didn't? Would I have been okay with that? And here Jesus was okay with it. And he wasn't just grudgingly okay with it, like, God, God, my father made me do this. and No! He said, get up, let's go! Because he sought God's will in prayer. And he trusted God. And he trusted that this was God's answer. That's a mark of power. Someone that is willing to abandon their own ideas and follow God's. He embraced God's sovereign answer to prayer. Not just the answers to prayer that he wanted, but God in his sovereignty as he was bringing Jesus to the cross because there was no other way. Judas came over and as soon as he kissed him, Soldiers came by, and, the, and the, 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 the temple soldiers, they come around and they arrest him, and they bind him, my Lord. And I couldn't take it anymore. And one of the dark things that I did last night, that night, one of the many things, is I saw what they did, and I saw them bind Jesus, and, and I knew that he was the Messiah, and I had a sword. I had a sword, and if Jesus wasn't going to protect himself, I was. And so I pulled out my sword, and, and I'd seen the Romans do this, and they, they would go like this down on somebody's head. And so that's what I did, because the high priest's servant was there. And the high priest wasn't there, I couldn't get him, but I could get his servant. Closest thing I could get to, and I, I come down on his head, and I missed. And I, I, I sliced his ear. I thought I was doing a good thing. And I, I'm thankful for Mark. He didn't even put my name in. One of the other apostles did. <laughs> but Jesus looked at me. 
And he said, this isn't the way. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. This isn't the plan. And I remember what he said. And he said, do you not think I could call 12 legion of angels to my defense right now? And I was trying to get in the way of what God was doing. And I learned that night, the second lesson I learned was not to take matters into my own hands. Not to take matters into my own hands. God is omnipotent. God has a plan. He is sovereign. And I never even stopped to consider. I never stopped to pray about it. I never stopped to consider, well, what is God's plan in this? I just thought, this isn't right. I'm going to take care of it. Whack, there goes his ear. And I remember back when I was talking to Jesus, the first time he said he had to die. And I said, no, that's not right. You're not going to die. And he called me Satan. He said to get behind him. Satan. I'm still working through that. I'm still working through that. But what I learned is I need to control my my own impetuousness. I need to control my own ideas of how God should work. And I need to stop and let Him work. Because the amazing thing is, is God is perfectly capable of defending Himself. And He's perfectly capable of executing His plan whether or not He... I think he needs my advice or help. And Jesus told me that that night. Taught me not to take matters into my own hands. And I, and I got to tell you, it's hard for me because there was a threat and I respond to threats. No one's messing with this fisherman. And God's been working on my attitude that maybe not everything's a threat that I have to deal with. That maybe I'm getting in God's way when I deal with things on my own. See, Jesus taught so many different things and looking back, now I get it. He said to love your enemies, to pray for those that persecute you. He said to turn the other cheek, which I thought was pretty ridiculous at the time. The next day on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do instead of calling down those 12 legion of angels. It was a hard lesson, one of many that night. I challenge you to learn the same lesson. Have you left any ears on the ground? Have you left any blood on the ground? Trying to defend yourself? Trying to take care of things yourself? Trust that when you follow God, He is the great protector and He is the defender. It's not worth taking matters into our own hands. We need to stop, pray, seek God's will before we act. That's my problem. I act, and then Jesus scolds me, and then I seek God's will. It's backwards. The act needs to be last. But back to the scene that night. Jesus healed the ear, scolded me. And then he talked to the people that were arresting him. 
And he said, have you come at me like, like, like I'm being rebellious? Like I'm an insurrectionist? A robber? All those words were the, the same word for us. And the crowd is coming to him like he's causing a, a, an uproar in government. And Jesus goes on to point out how ridiculous they are. He says, you know, I've been teaching in the temple every day. Did I overthrow any? I overthrew some tables. But I didn't overthrow some, uh, government. And you come to me like, you could have taken me any day. And he's pointing out their hypocrisy. Do you know why they didn't want to take him during the day? They were afraid of people. They were afraid what people would say, what people would do. So here they are at night, in secret, coming to take him away. And Jesus calls them on it. And he says, really? Do you, really? Do you think I'm here to overthrow the government? See, again, they didn't get it. Jesus was coming. He, he came to create a different kind of kingdom. And it took me three years to get it. He came to change hearts. He came to forgive sin. He came to die on the cross. That was actually His plan. In our place. He came because that was the only way to pay for our sins. That was what He was trying to overthrow. It wasn't the government, but the power of sin and Satan. And they come with their torches and clubs thinking they have the power. And Jesus is doing something in the supernatural here. Not just some little overthrow in Jerusalem, but an overthrow of the dominion of Satan himself. It's about power. It's about power. And they missed it. They missed it. And it drove home to me as Jesus is talking to them because the next thing He said is, but as it is written, it will happen. The Scriptures will be fulfilled. Let's go. He's giving permission. The people with the clubs and the torches think they have the power and Jesus says, they don't go until Jesus gives them permission to go. And the lesson is that God's plan and His Word will never be thwarted by human beings. Never. It is always by what He allows. It is always according to His plan. And we think we are so big. I, I have a problem with that. The whole pride thing. We think we're so big. And we think that we're so powerful. And, and it's like an ant on a camel. It makes no sense. But God's Word and His plan cannot be thwarted. They are powerful. And Jesus, in a little bit of irony and a little bit of humor, points that out to them. And so they go. And what happens next, it's not even the darkest thing that I'll do that night, but it was dark. We all ran. We all left him. Yes, I denied him later, but I betrayed him then. 
And we left him alone in the middle of that crowd, the Sanhedrin and the Roman soldiers. And we ran for our lives, every man for himself. And now I see it was a fulfillment of Zechariah 7:13. Where it said the sheep would be the, the shepherd would be struck and the sheep will be scattered. And I will turn my hands on the little ones. And we forsook them. Mark goes on to tell a story, and we're still trying to figure out if this is John Mark or not. We think it might be him, but he's not telling us. He goes on to tell a story about a young man that was there that had woken up and heard what was going on in Gethsemane and followed, and he was just in this linen garment. And the, the soldiers saw him, and we were all running away, and this, this boy was still there, a little more courageous than we were. And so they go to take him and, and even the boy runs and they grab his garment and they pull his garment off and he runs off naked. And it may seem like a silly thing to, 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 for Mark to put in, but it shows just the utter loneliness and, and how everyone left to the point of even shame. It's shameful to run around without your outer garment on, without any garment on. And this boy was willing to even run away that way to stay away from Jesus and what was happening. None of us stood up and stood for our Lord. And what's amazing to me, what's amazing to me is even when we all failed Him, and even when we left him, he went through with his plan. He went through with the plan. When we were with him, he said it was because he loved us. The depth of his love was incredible that he would still be arrested, that he would still be beaten, that he would still die for us when we all ran away for our lives and abandoned him. And that gets me. I don't know if I could love someone that way. They offend me, I cut off their ear. They offend God, he, Jesus, he dies for them. What kind of man does that? And I learned that the depth of his love is greater than my failure, all my failure put together. It's hard for me to even talk about it. But here's what I hope you get out of it. Every one of us has fallen. Every one of us has failed. Every one of us has walked away and abandoned Christ. In Romans, a book my friend Paul would write, says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God, not even one. 
And just as we fell in the garden that night, and just as we scattered and we abandoned Him, so do all of us when we sin. But the amazing thing is God, through Jesus, Jesus who is God, still went to the cross. And He still paid for our sin. And He still asks us to trust Him and to believe in Him as that is the only way we can be saved. A few weeks after this, or a week after this, He met us again in Galilee, just as He promised. And He restored us. And He used us to start the church. And you should... The amazing things with the church are happening. People are coming to know the Lord by thousands. But if He can use us, when we ran away and abandoned Him in the garden, He can use anyone. He can use anyone. And the depth of that love showed His power. The power of that love brought redemption. And that's the story from the garden. That's the story. We learned that God didn't even answer Jesus' prayers as always to the yes, but that He sovereignly answered prayers and we should embrace that. We learn not to take matters in our own hands, but to seek God's will and to seek what God was doing. We learned that God's plan and His Word are eternal and they are to be trusted. And we learned the depth of God's love was greater than our failure. So my message to you this morning, same message that I'm preaching all over the countryside right now, whoever will listen, is that same Jesus died for your sins. And that same Jesus who we abandoned still went to the cross that if we will believe on Him, then that payment is for our sins. And He took our place. And just as I've been asking everyone I talk to, I ask you, will you believe in Him? Will you believe in Him? There is no other way. It's not a pitiful night, but a powerful night. Trust Him as your Savior. My goal this morning is that we see the reality of what happened. This isn't just a story. This isn't just a made-up fable. This was God's steps to the cross. May we not take that lightly. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we stand in surrender to You because of what You accomplished on the cross and through Your resurrection. Lord, because no one else could have accomplished that, nothing else can pay for our sins, nothing else can, can secure salvation and an eternity with You. And so, Lord, what else can we do but worship and offer ourselves to You? We are bought with a price, a precious price. Lord, I pray this morning.
that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that right now, right at this moment, they would choose to give their life to you. To say, I believe. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that I'm a sinner and I need him. And I believe that he died on the cross in my place if I will believe in him. Lord, let no one go out of this room without knowing that and coming to you. Lord, I pray for those that do know you and are walking with you and are seeking you that this wouldn't be a pitiful story, but it would be a story that reaffirms your power, that reaffirms your plan when we want to question your answers to prayer, that reaffirms your protection when we feel like we need to take matters into our own hands. Lord, may we go out worshiping a sovereign, almighty God who has not forgotten his children. And realizing we see that even in the garden. Thank you for your sacrifice. We owe our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.